football fans. It's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. And here we go. Welcome in, everybody, on another edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to those underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. I am your somewhat capable host, and we've got special guests that are upcoming. First of all, huge week last week with Championship Saturday in college football and the NFL. Not one, not two, not three, six different underdogs that we gave you on the show between Gary Seegers from the Winning Cures Everything podcast, who hit all three of his doggies, uh, to Brian Edwards of MajorWager.com and Sean Green of the Sports Gambling Podcast as they contributed, and even the host who had Oregon and the San Francisco 49ers. I tried to tell you about the 49ers in that spot against the Saints. What a wild game in the Superdome with both teams in the high 40s. Uh, great win for San Francisco against the Saints that may deny New Orleans the chance at a bye for the opening weekend of the playoffs after that victory. So in any event, this week is a new week. We've got to get back at it with the underdogs, and we don't have the college football save for the Army-Navy game. No, we I'll mention this a little later in the podcast. We don't really go around and around about the FCS playoffs. Uh, no no uh, North Dakota State, no, uh, no Montana Grizzlies or James Madison or on and on. Uh, here in the FCS playoffs for Three Dog Thursday. We'll resume the college games with the bowl games and obviously the college football playoff for the predictions with those later in the month of December, especially those New Year's Six games that are going to be interesting. How about my Memphis Tigers get the win in the American Conference Championship game over Cincinnati? They qualify for the New Year's Six bowl game, end up playing Penn State in the Cotton Bowl, but their coach Mike Norvell is on his way to Florida State. Uh, He takes that job right after the championship game. We're going to talk so much about the carousel. Norvell now at Florida State. Lane Kiffin leaves Florida Atlantic and takes the Ole Miss job. Uh, That means that Willie Taggart, at the time we're now taping, the former Florida State coach, has an opening at Florida Atlantic in Boca Raton in South Florida by Miami. He's taking that job which, again, it's a, it's a bizarre carousel. And, and Wisconsin, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Missouri with a new coach. Uh, same thing, Washington out west with a coaching change with Chris Peterson stepping down. Uh, on and on, Arkansas uh, with a new coach. And what will happen when the NFL comes calling if somebody like Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma? Would he do that with his team in the college football playoff? Uh, what happens if Brian Kelly decides to leave at Notre Dame? I know Notre Dame fired the offensive coordinator midweek when they've had such a great offensive season again this year. Is that a sign that Brian Kelly intends to stay? Or does it add to it that maybe he's looking to leave, that he's getting rid of the offensive coordinator, maybe leave to go to the National Football League? We'll find out. Crazy coaching carousel will be a topic on the show coming up. Let me say this about the playoff. I can't be any more blunt. I can't be any more plain with this. The people that have been advocating the eight-team playoff, and in particular, are still trying to badmouth the process after, after the selection committee was completely vindicated by waiting this whole thing out and doing their rankings... Sit down and shut up about an eight-team playoff. As this just demonstrated, it's not needed. 
Once again, the arguing fuels this. It has been the case every year. We are so much better off right now than what we used to have when there was a vote. Are you not old enough to remember that the teams that were at the top never played each other? There was like decades. You go an entire decade and the top two teams didn't play each other in the college football postseason. Now we've we've graduated from the BCS where the top two teams played each other to a Final Four where you get three games instead of one and four teams duke it out uh, on neutral fields with a chance to decide this. We don't need eight. And for the truthers that want to talk about, oh, well, this is just another example of, of, uh, of two-loss Oregon not getting a chance, or, or wait a minute, how come another two-loss Minnesota or a two-loss Georgia or a one-loss Memphis should be enough? College football went for so many years without deciding this on the field. At least we have four teams to decide it. We don't need eight. We don't need some automatic thing with conference champions. I know my guests are going to debate me and argue with me, but they're wrong. We don't need an eight-team playoff. And we'll talk more about it as we go along with my special guest. Chris Giannini is coming up straight ahead from the Winning Cures Everything podcast. He and Gary Seegers always picking their games on their show. I'm on with them every week. They're on with me here on Three Dog Thursday. So Chris, he's got something to live up to. Gary Seegers hitting all three of his dogs last week representing that show and that podcast and that YouTube show. So Chris will be here with some underdogs. Also here, uh, Price Atkinson from the Yards and Stripes uh, podcast. Service Academy Football. Nobody. I mean, nobody is more plugged into the ins and outs, the insight, the analysis, the interviews of Service Academy football with a podcast than Price Atkinson. Yards and Stripes does a great job. It's the Army-Navy game. Who better to try to break it down for us but also give us insight on what it's like to have been at this game numerous times that he has worked it, covered it. It's in Philadelphia for this week, and Army again going for three, or or having won three in a row, going for four straight wins in the series. So we're anxious to hear more from Price Atkinson uh, here in a little bit. Uh, Also, Brian Edwards back with me, MajorWager.com. Brian came through with the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, last week for an underdog in the American Conference Championship game. I'm glad my Memphis Tigers won the game, but Cincinnati did get the cover. Uh, So Brian is back here with an NFL underdog or two. And then Sean Green, Sports Gambling Podcast, who had the Baylor Bears, who had the Denver Broncos a week ago. He is back as well here as part of Three Dog Thursday with more underdogs. Uh, Will he take the Army uh, cadets, the Black Knights of the Hudson? And what about the NFL doggies as well? So Plenty of underdog predictions upcoming on the podcast. Of course, we've got the whole Spygate, the sequel thing looming for the New England Patriots at the time that we're taping, where their video crew was doing an advanced feature on an advanced scout, uh, scouting the Cincinnati Bengals, their opponent this week. And the crew actually filmed the Bengals sideline, including the hand signals and the whole thing for eight minutes. Is this the Twinkie Twilight Zone? The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do? Didn't we do this already with don't film the opposing team's coaches? And yet this was going, and it's the Patriots doing it. Um, All right, so uh, that's the backdrop for the Patriots and the Bengals, but we've got Bills and Steelers on Sunday night football, the Monday night game. Do any of our prognosticators, our handicappers, dare to take the Indianapolis Colts? I am looking strongly at a couple of games, including the Falcons out west with the 49ers after the Falcons blew out Carolina for the second time this year, and San Francisco played such a hard-fought game. 
What about that matchup uh, that I'm looking at, as well as a couple of others here on Three Dog Thursday that kind of strike me uh, for this weekend in the uh, in the pros. So in any event, we'll be talking about those with the handicappers. By the way, Three Dog Thursday is brought to you in part by our friends at Smack Apparel. For the best in in-your-face rivalry-themed t-shirts, college football, and the NFL, go to smackapparel.com. You will want to see these hilarious shirts, whether you root for Ohio State or Clemson, uh, on and on, LSU, uh, Oklahoma for the college football playoff. Check out the shirts at smackapparel.com. Use our promo code DOG, D-O-G. Our promo code DOG takes 20% off your order. If you buy four shirts uh, for the holidays here, the fourth one's going to be free with the 20% off because of the pricing structure from Smack Apparel. Again, they've got NFL stuff from the Patriots, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Browns. Uh, All the different NFL teams, even if you like the San Francisco 49ers, the New Orleans Saints, on and on, smackapparel.com. Any order of $40 or more is going to ship for free for the holidays. Once again, any order that you make that's $40 or more, Smack Apparel will ship it for free wherever it needs to go. 20% off with the promo code DOG. They have been talking the talk for 20 years. Get under your rival skin. These are hilarious uh, in-your-face college and NFL-themed shirts. They've even got some good uh, Major League Baseball, the Washington Nationals World Championship shirts, the Bryceless shirts. No Bryce Harper. He left for all the money to Philadelphia, missed out on a World Series. Get the Bryceless shirts there. They've got those. They've got NBA shirts, NHL shirts, but primarily college and NFL football with Smack Apparel. SmackApparel.com. Our promo code is DOG for 20% off. Let's get to it. Shall we? We've got underdogs to discuss with our guest. Let's get rolling on Three Dog Thursday. Always do love to get to break bread figuratively, not only on their show, but on Three Dog Thursday with the Winning Cures Everything podcast, guys. My dudes, uh, Gary Seegers and Chris Giannini do a fantastic job. Or is it Giannini and Seegers? It's like a law firm. Uh, We always love talking with with both of them. Uh, I always love talking with both of them. And Chris Giannini is here right now. It should be Giannini and Seegers because you're on the show this week. Although Seegers left a standard for you to uphold three for three a week ago. That is what it is all about on Three Dog Thursday. Thank you, Miami, Ohio Red Hawks in the MAC title game. Thank you, Cincinnati Bearcats, for covering but not beating the Memphis Tigers, my alma mater. And he also had the Denver Broncos. What a win for them in Houston. Denver getting nine last week. So Seegers was three for three. Chris Giannini, good to be with you. Uh, and and uh, we, we've got lots to talk about from college football playoff to NFL picks. How you feeling? Feel pretty good, man. All right, so let's get into it uh, here. Uh, first off, college football playoff. Uh, I've already said before you came on here that that all and, and there are some prominent people in the college football media that have been screaming about this. But even if if they're screaming even after this weekend about an eighteen playoff, just put a sock in it. The, it worked out. You got to let it play out, and it worked out with three unbeaten teams and the most deserving one loss team that won the Big Twelve title. Chris, your thoughts on that? I mean, I think we got it right, and I think it's okay. In my world, I am a uh, Dan Wetzel truther, and he believes that the conference title games that we had this weekend where everything seemed to work out, uh, I think they're a waste of time with him. I agree with that. I think let's just start the playoffs at eight teams and get the, like 
what that conference championship was, you know, it was a playoff game for Georgia. Yes. But it wasn't really for LSU. It wasn't for Clemson. It wasn't for Ohio State. It was for Oklahoma Baylor. And so when it's a playoff game for some and not for others, I'm on the other side of that argument. But we got the four best teams. We, we have the three best teams. And there's a couple of teams that probably have an argument for number four. And, and out of those guys – But they all lost know, two games. They all lost right. at least two of, games. Right. No, you're exactly right. I think we've got the right team in there at the 14th. And, and I don't know that there's a whole lot of argument as to how we got here. And, and, and they got what they got. Would it have been more entertaining if Wisconsin wasn't playing that weekend and, and, and some of these other teams weren't playing and it was, you know, like a real playoff? Maybe. But we got the four best teams, I think, right now. I just hate that we got to wait three weeks to watch them play football. <laughs> well, they got to give them time to, to ramp up, and these big bowl games are obviously part of that. Uh, but uh, again, over the course of the last two weekends, we saw Alabama take a second loss. We saw Minnesota take a second loss. Then we saw Utah take a second loss. Then we saw, obviously, there was going to be one of them, Baylor take a second loss in the overtime. It could have gone either way. And we saw Georgia take a second loss. You have to let this play out. And you know this. We've been talking about it all year, and we talk about it every year. you got to let it play out. And it, uh, and it did play out that way. Did they get it right with the matchups? Because they did go ahead and hop LSU into the one spot like we theorized. I know you're an LSU guy. Uh, that means Ohio State-Clemson uh, in the Fiesta Bowl and LSU-Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. You're, I take it you're fine with the way that they worked all of that out one through four. Yep, I'm fine with it. I think they got it absolutely right. The only reason they bumped LSU from one to two was because they were afraid, and this is them trying to play God and not letting it play out. It's the thing I hate the most, is they were afraid of getting Alabama, LSU, one and four, because everybody just assumed Alabama's going to beat Auburn. They're going to win out. We're going to have to let them in. We don't want a rematch in the first round of the finals of the playoffs and, and guarantee an SEC team to the championship team. So uh, we're, we're going to manipulate it now, and then Bama <laughs> loses. And then somebody says, uh-oh, man, this resume is too good. we got to find a way to get it back. And then Ohio State just keeps winning big, keeps winning big, and they can't really flip it back. Then finally LSU has the most dominant two weekends anybody may have ever had in college football. And Ohio State got behind early, fought like crazy to come back, and uh, ended up winning that game handily. But – it wasn't as impressive as what LSU had done. That was the excuse they needed. Okay, It worked out for the committee. So we got those games. There's plenty of time to talk about them and dissect those semifinals, which are coming uh, later on in the month of December. They're actually on Saturday the 28th. Uh, for that matchup. Now, you and Gary are based in the Mid-South there in Memphis or in the in the greater Memphis area, and the Tigers end up winning. Da, 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 go Tigers, go. The Tigers end up winning the American Conference Championship, finish with the best season in program history at 12-1, and end up getting the New Year's Six Bowl bid that had been theorized and hoped for all throughout really November. They end up getting that game in the, in the Cotton Bowl now against Penn State. And then they end up losing their coach to Florida State. Chris Giannini, Winning Cures Everything podcast, your thoughts on Mike Norvell saying, peace, deuces, I'm out, I'm going to Tallahassee, I'm not even going to coach the Cotton Bowl. 
you know, well, I knew there was no way. Gary kept telling me, oh, he's still going to coach the Cotton Bowl. He's still going to coach the Cotton Bowl. No chance on earth Florida State was going to let him coach the Cotton Bowl. They want him to get to work immediately. They're paying him a large sum of money. They want him to get to work immediately. Uh, and I fully understand that. I think, this is my opinion, I haven't talked to anybody, don't know anything, but after that game, I saw him shake Luke Fickle's hand. I saw him kind of celebrate with his team, and at some point in time he puts his hands on his head and his eyes get a little glassy, and I felt like I looked into to Mike Norvell's soul. And I'm telling you, today, <laughs> right now, he's in Tallahassee, and today, right now, I think he regrets this decision. Really? I think he does. I think he, I think he preached for the last couple of years the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The grass just isn't always greener. You can't just take the money. Yes, the money is great. The opportunity is bigger. But at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't always buy happiness. And I saw him at the end of that game look glassy-eyed like, I don't want to go. And I immediately regret this decision. But he still um, went. I, he still had the news conference well, yeah, the next I day. I mean, made the well, but we've had, guys, we've had guys back out before. We've had guys have the news conference and back out uh, before. <laughs> So, You're exactly right. They so, had the press conference. They signed paperwork. Exactly. So I, I, I believe that maybe that was just a release uh, in part. I saw what you're talking maybe. about, and maybe it was a release of, of, hey, relief that we've won it, relief because there would have been so much negativity my way if we had blown this game and I take the Florida State job about whether or not I was distracting myself and my team. So maybe that was part of it, too. Look, I'm down here in Florida. Speaking of truthers, I'm in Florida. I'm around Florida State fans. I did not go to Florida State. But I'm saying to them, right now, is the Florida State job, right this second, a better job than the Memphis job? Memphis, much more established. Memphis has had multiple 10-win seasons uh, in recent years under Justin Fuente and uh, and now Norvell with a couple of 10-win seasons, including a conference championship, going to a New Year's Six Bowl game. you got a Florida State team uh, that had a losing record last year that barely scrapes into a bowl for the second time in three years. You really are, are scraping along the last three years you've got money problems which everybody knows i mean i joked on sunday with a couple of fsu guys are they paying norvell chris giannini in ious or or something else because they don't they don't have the cash and so you look at all of those factors and you look one more you look at how far they are away from clemson in terms of can they challenge them that's going to be a year or two isn't it? Before they can even challenge Clemson. So go ahead. I mean, there's an argument that maybe Memphis is as good a job as Florida State. Maybe not on the pay scale, but maybe as good a job right now for all the other aspects. Well, you can't and this is one thing Gary brings up because I don't know that money is the reason all these guys go. They all live in big houses and yes, there's a drastic difference between the $3 million of the 3.2 that Memphis probably could have got him to and the the 5 plus that he's going to get at Florida State. Like, like That's a big difference, okay? I I understand that money is a big deal. Some of these guys aren't always driven by that. Um, One thing that I found uh, that that was super interesting, oh, what I was going to say is at Florida State, he can do something he can't do at Memphis. He can compete and win for a national championship, and and Memphis could go, you know, thirty and zero, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, forty five and zero. They're not letting them into the playoffs ever. They're just they're just not getting in. So you cannot win a national championship at Memphis if you win the ACC as a one loss team and beat a Clemson team in the championship game. You're getting into the playoffs. You just are. And, and if you're in, you win two, and you're hoisting the trophy, and your name is sealed forever. 
He's never going to be able to do that in Memphis. Now, the other side of that, you talk about the money. The reports came out that the AD called up all the big boosters, yes. all the big donors, the Florida yes. State, and said, I need 20% more than what you've been given. Now, that is a really – I've had hard conversations uh, managing people for a long time and then owning my own business and having to call people, having to call customers, having to call employees, having very difficult conversations. I don't know how you call these individuals and say, look, I know the product that we put on the field for the last four years has been pretty putrid. Right. But I need to give a little more. And, and, and it's not 5%. And by it's the way, and by the way, they passed the hat already trying to get the Taggart yep. buyout done. So this is the second passing of the hat, the tin can, the offering plate on give us some more oh. money. Um, so yes, they, they are they are strapped. There is no doubt they are financially strapped to get facilities built. And obviously Norvell bought into the big picture that I'm not going to have everything in place here in year one or year two in terms of facilities and that kind of thing. So uh, we'll see. But then again, an argument can be made that Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher right after him were winning a whole bunch of games without the necessary uh, indoor practice facility, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, right. we'll see. It's well, just interesting. Norvell yeah. will be able to develop talent, and that's what the last two coaches weren't able to do. It, well, Willie Taggart didn't seem to be able to do, and Jimbo seemed to kind of quit trying to do, which is you can get a ton of talent in Florida. They don't all have to be five stars. There's so many three stars that are going to come out of Florida that would be great as four and five stars if they were in Missouri or if they were in Arkansas or if they were in Kansas. Um, but, but, but it's just the, the people that they're compared to makes it really hard to grade them, and all these guys are dudes. And, and Mark, Mike Norvell is going to be great at identifying that talent and coaching them up and getting the absolute best out of them. He just seemed to know in Memphis, look at White, the quarterback, okay, had a lot of issues at Memphis. And Mike seemed to know when it was time to put his foot in his rear end and say, you got to get your head out of your butt and we got to figure this thing out. And when it was time to wrap his arm around him, Great totally point. and say, I love you, I trust yeah. you. He just seemed to know when it's okay to jump somebody and when it's okay to love on them and what these kids need. I'm a huge Norvell fan. I want to see him do it. I think it's going to be really hard. Well, the only thing that I would submit is for right now in the short term, if he gets to like a seventh win or an eighth win in year one and gets them into a good bowl game, then that's fine. It's really going to get judged on year two, year three. What kind of leap do you make uh, or not? And uh, we'll we'll find out. He he gets a honeymoon year here, and maybe they'll be that good. Maybe they'll be a seven and eight, uh, seven or eight win program. I don't know. Um, he's got to find a quarterback. Uh, they're still struggling for that. I mean, they went two full cycles without signing a notable quarterback under Willie Taggart. That is mind boggling for that kind of program. So again, it's, we've dwelled. Yeah, state of Florida. That's, that's it's hard to believe. We've dwelled enough on that one. I want to ask you one more, Chris Giannini. So I worked the Conference USA title game. The uh, Florida Atlantic Owls, FAU, under Lane Kiffin, blowing out UAB, Alabama-Birmingham. And Kiffin, really with one eye on that game and one eye on the Ole Miss job, it's now it's now basically come out now that he had accepted the job verbally and otherwise in advance of the game. They win the game handily. The next day, he's in Oxford at, at a press conference. Uh, we had theorized this last week. It's now reality. You're right there in the Mid-South. How energized 
Uh, is the Ole Miss fan base? How good of a hire is this? Give me your thoughts on Lane Kiffin back in the SEC, please. Well, okay, so so full disclosure, we record this on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, Lane Kiffin today went on Dan Patrick's show and 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 kind of went at. I mean, everywhere he's talked, he's talked about. I've got I've got Alabama in my targets. <laughs> LSU is the team that is that dominate the SEC this year. But Alabama's the big boy. They're the bully in the room, and if you want to win it, you got to take them out. And he is absolutely not afraid. Um, he's talked about coming in. He told all the media, get ready to rip me because we're going to go with analytics. And so many times you see old conventional coaches go for a field goal, and their guy's got a 6 to 10% shot at, at making it. And I say, let's give us another down, and maybe we get another first down. And, and if we lose, you know, 15 yards of, of – of, of line of scrimmage or whatever field position, it's not the end of the world. Um, and, and he's going to be a little bit more unconventional. He did a lot of that stuff at FIU, but you can get away with it there because nobody's watching here. Right. Everybody's watching. Uh, you know, I, I have the fortune and luxury of being in the Memphis area. He was in South Haven. I mean, less than two miles down the road from my house today, recruiting <laughs> kids. Uh, he is on the trail. We don't have any list of his staff yet. Uh, those names, names haven't come out, but, um, you know, you we, believe, we you have said, you believe that Kendall Bryles, who was with him at Florida Atlantic for a year, was at Florida State yeah. last year, has been released, obviously, by Mike Norvell, that Kendall Bryles may end up with Kiffin. We don't know that to be the case, but you believe that's very possible, that that's going to be the offensive coordinator and go, go, go and reunite those two guys. I absolutely think that's going to happen. Uh, Kendall will have a couple of different options of places he can go because he's a really good OC, but he won't be there with Norvell. I mean, Norvell's already brought his own staff right, in right. and, and continue to put that in. So we know Kendall is, is available, and Lane and him have a great relationship. The only reason he left FIU is because Florida State could pay him four times more money than Lane could at FIU. So uh, th- those guys are buddies. They trust each other. They know each other. And, uh, and I think they want to run kind of the same system. I, man, I, people are excited here in Oxford. Now, there are Memphis people that are a little chapped and a little upset. That's a big rivalry. And Memphis has kind of always been the little brother to Ole Miss. But lately, they've kind of beat uh-huh. yeah, quite, quite a bit. And they've, they've got the chest out, but they've lost both the coaches that have beat them. Right. And it looks like Ole Miss has taken that big step forward. And Memphis has got to regroup <laughs> and figure out who their next guy is going to be. Um, but – the Ole Miss people around here could not be happier. Yeah. It seems seems to me, because I've I've been involved in intertwining that rivalry for my entire life. Seems to me that Memphis has lost their both coaches to better jobs uh, for more money while winning a whole bunch of games. And uh, Matt Luke would be the third coach Ole Miss has fired in the 2010s uh, at this point. So uh, scoreboard on that, scoreboard on the on-field right. wind by the Tigers earlier this year. Uh, Ole Miss has got a long way to go to turn it around. And it, it's more than likely, here we go again, uh, Kiffin is going to have to have a honeymoon year if he even gets a honeymoon in the SEC West because they may get drubbed like Jimbo Fisher has gotten drubbed at Texas A&M the first couple of years. Is that fair? I, I don't know that they're going to get drubbed. The SEC West is heavy, but but they're not unbeatable. And I, I think LSU and Alabama, not that they're going to fall to eight and four teams, but I think they're going to fall backwards next year. They're both going to lose the greatest quarterbacks that they've had in school history. They both completely changed and re-identified their offense for what they used to be as to what they are, 
And if you don't have the right trigger man for that offense, mm. you're not going to just win right. 11 or 12 games every year. And then Arkansas is a train wreck. I think they've got a lot of growing to do. You've got their, their cross-section in the SEC is Vanderbilt, and I think they can still get to six wins pretty easily. I absolutely think they have taken a major step forward, while Mississippi State, who was very unimpressive and has been worse and worse the first two years under Moorhead, um, and, and he is a foolish mistake away from losing his job, thanks to the old Miss guy uh, trying to pee pee in the uh, <laughs> in the end zone, right? Yeah, I just think I just think that Ole Miss has taken a step forward while some of these other programs have stayed where they're at. Um, and 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 I don't know that I don't know if they're going to need a honeymoon. I think they can win five games pretty easily next year. Might be, I just might be crazy with that and and win six and get to a bowl game year one with Lane wouldn't surprise me. All right, we'll find out on that. Again, Chris Giannini, Gary Seegers, Winning Cures Everything podcast. Find them at winningcureseverything.com on the internet. Winning Cures Everything is the name of the podcast. Uh, If you're searching for it, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. The show is also simulcast on YouTube, the Winning Cures Everything YouTube channel. So you can see these guys as well as hear from them. They do a great job. Let's move on to the NFL. I want to get underdogs from you. You're not going to touch Army in the Army-Navy game, which is the only FBS game uh, of note here this weekend. Uh, so we'll move on to the NFL. And before I get to the games and the underdogs, big talk midweek about the officiating. Uh, the NFL is making it no secret they're going to evaluate everything top to bottom, including Al Riveron, the head of officiating, and the replay review policies and process, including pass interference. Chris, do you have a quick uh, thought or reaction uh Pass interference uh, has been under scrutiny. There's a lot of talk that it may only be a one-year experimental thing and it will be taken right back out again. What is your thought hearing all this about the officiating real quick? My, my thought is, is the fishing just has to get better. Al Riveron has to has to either do a better job or they have to find somebody else that can do that job. Uh, Mike Lombardi talks about all the time on his podcast and his shows, radio shows that he goes on, about these officials that in these replay things are so close to this and they don't want to hurt each other's feelings by overturning things that we all kind of obviously see. He said, the problem with that is, is you affect people's jobs. You affect people's livelihoods. Everybody in the, in the, in the NFL front office, they get to go home every day at five o'clock and, and they hit that train and, and they just go ha- to the house and, and nothing in their life changes. He said, but there are people in these NFL locker rooms who lose their jobs because of this stuff all of the time. And he said that's what that's what the league doesn't seem to understand or get is is you cost employees, uh, coaches, assistant coaches, all these guys' jobs because you're bad at your job. And, and sometimes you say, well, sometimes we get them right, sometimes we get them wrong. You have the opportunity to get it right all the time. You choose not to because you're trying to protect somebody else, and it's just not okay. So I think Al has a big responsibility. It's a hard job but that's the reason he gets paid and compensated to do the hard job. And he needs to be better at it. Well, and they need to be better equipped, maybe younger, which is one of the things we've talked about, have the faster track to get them younger uh, that's in there. Uh, Point blank, quick answer. Does instant replay for pass interference come back next year? What is your gut? No. And my gut says no. I think the NFL is pretty quick to, to can stuff that's not working. All right. And maybe, and maybe eventually they go to the sky judge, the extra official looking at all the replays to help them. But we'll see what they do with pass interference. Uh, because again, in the Dolphin Jet game, haven't talked about this as of yet. Now we segue to the NFL. 
The Dolphin-Jet game, the Jets are driving, trying to get the go-ahead field goal after falling behind in the final minute. There's a questionable call, no call, no call on the field, pass interference, and Riveron in the command center instituted pass interference when there was no flag on the field again. So they've done some of this recently in games, which is driving people crazy that they weren't overturning calls earlier in the year, uh, and the Jets go on to kick the winning field goal about a minute later on the clock. So... Uh, In any event, it will be uh, evaluated. Enough about the off-field stuff. Let's get to some NFL underdogs. I said to Chris, you don't have to have three of them necessarily uh, here just because I'm uh, I'm pigeonholing that it's only the NFL for this week. You said, hey, no problem. I've got three of them, so give me uh, one that you want to start with and why. Go ahead. The oldest robbery in the NFL. We have the second meeting this year of the Bears and the Packers playing for 100 years. These teams don't like each other, and just about every time they play, I take the dog just because I think they're evenly matched. They don't like each other. This is one of the few true rivalries in the NFL where you throw the record book out. You don't really know or care what style of play these teams run or play. They're just going to be close games. I feel like they're always field goal games. I might be wrong on that, but I will take the four-point head start and take the Bears. Uh, The Bears' offense last two weeks – 24 points, 31 points. They're starting to figure things out. Last week, Green Bay struggled, struggled against the uh, the Redskins, and and I still don't think that Redskins team is a very good team. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I just don't think Green Bay is going to sweep this division. And so far, they have swept the division. Uh, I, I think they're going to eventually lose some games. It's just the way the NFL works, and uh, they haven't been real impressive. So I got a shot to win the game. Give me the Bears. How about that? Trubisky has been better as of late, so you'll take the four and a half with Chicago. That is an early game. You're also going to go with a team that had a big week last week, surprisingly so. Another early game, one Eastern time, noon local time, Denver at Kansas City, and you like the Broncos. What about it? I like the Broncos a lot. I think Drew Locke is for real. Gary and I talked about this on our show last week. Gary gave them to you last week. I'm giving them to you this week. Uh, one thing, I think Kansas City was just in a grudge match. I think they left everything they had on the table in New England um, Sunday night, Sunday evening when they played, and uh, it took everything they had to get out of that game, scrape by with the win. We don't know how Patrick Mahomes' hand really is. If it's banged up at all, this Denver defense is going to get after him, and, uh, and he's going to have to be accurate and figure it out. But uh, Drew Locke seems to be a quarterback that John Elway has finally found that knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't think – this Kansas City defense is super vaunted, and, and I think they can put up points. I think they can hang with them and keep it close. Then I get almost double digits to get nine-and-a-half point head start. Give me the Broncos. Give me Drew Locke just bringing this team to life. All right, rivalry game there, too. A lot of rivalry games this weekend with Denver in Kansas City. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Broncos, who suddenly are putting it together late in the season under Vic Fangio. And finally, this game moved to prime time. You are salivating on Buffalo Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, in fairness, I tried to say on the Winning Cures podcast and YouTube show last week that Buffalo was not going to win out, that we would be we would be more apt to have aliens land on our front lawn this afternoon, Chris, than to have Buffalo win out, beating Baltimore uh, at Baltimore, uh, or a Baltimore at home, beating New England at New England, this game at Pittsburgh, and sure enough, they lost already to, to Baltimore. But you like the Bills here in a game that has been moved to Sunday night at Heinz Field. What strikes you about Buffalo's chances against the Steelers? 
I think this this Baltimore defense, uh, not Baltimore. This the Bills defense is the best defense that Duck Hodges has played so far. He got to feast on a beat up Browns defense, where that game was an ugly game to begin with, and then he got to go down to the friendly confines of Arizona, where nobody plays defense, and he looked like a dream quarterback. Man, where do you find this guy? all those dreams are going to end this weekend, okay? Both of these teams are pretty close to identical to me. I don't think either one of them are great offensively. I think they're both pretty good defensively. The difference is is I trust uh, Josh Allen. I trust the offensive scheming. I trust Singletary uh, in the backfield. Um, the Steelers offensively are just beat up, banged up. They don't have a single skill player that I would trust at all right now. Um, and, and I think the Bills' defense is going to make them look bad. I get a two-point head start. I think the Bills can win this game. And I think the shine comes off the rose for Mr. Uh, Duck Hodges. Well, Tomlin has done a remarkable job to get him to this point with seven victories, with no Roethlisberger, third-string quarterback James Conner's been hurt, the receiving core depleted, uh, the defense has come together. Very interesting that you would take Buffalo on the road because Pittsburgh's trying to hang tough in the AFC wildcard race. They're not going to catch Baltimore ultimately, but they're trying to hang tough uh, here for right now. All right, so there they there they go. Bears, Broncos, Bills. Three Bs uh, for the for the nickname teams for his underdogs for this week. Chris Giannini, tell the audience more about Winning Cures Everything because I love getting a chance to hang with you guys and uh, you do a fantastic job of not just previewing the games but quick recaps uh, of the college and pro games as well. Tell the fans more about how they find the show. Yeah, you go to winningcureseverything.com. That's our website. You can find just about anything there about us and on us. All our picks are there. All our podcasts are there. Everything that we've ever done for the last four years. Uh, you can find us on any podcast app, Winning Cures Everything. Uh, YouTube, Winning Cures Everything. Find us on Twitter, at Winning Cures. We don't tweet too much stuff other than the shows out from that. Uh, you can find me, at Chris B. Giannini. I tweet all kinds of stuff out. Totally yes, you do. Uh, appreciate yes, the follow, do. and uh, yeah, we have a good time. Yeah, Chris B. Giannini is his. Uh, love that insight, and again, at Winning Cures on Twitter uh, for them. Facebook page as well, YouTube page, Winning Cures Everything. See them, not just hear them, but see them on the YouTube simulcast of their podcast. Good luck with your underdogs. It won't be long before we're talking college bowl games as well. Chris, thanks for hopping on on Three Dog Thursday, brother. Thank you, sir. Yes, they will be an underdog. Will the Black Knights of the Hudson? It is Army. It is Navy. Welcome back in on Three Dog Thursday. And who better to give me the insight on the Commander-in-Chief's trophy and the battle for it than the man that hosts the Yards and Stripes Service Academy football podcast? Nobody, nobody has more intel, insight, historical perspective on these matchups and games. Covers it like nobody else, uh, game after game, year after year now. Uh, for several years on the three on the uh, Yards and Stripes podcast. Welcome back to Three Dog Thursday. Price Atkinson back on the program. Th- this one does not need any real build-up and introduction. It's Army-Navy, period. Mr. Reeves, it's great to be back with you once again on one of the best college football sports podcasts you can find in Three Dog Thursday. And there is no introduction you need. Uh, the greatest rivalry in all of sport. And I know that listeners will... You know, we'll scoff at that. Our, uh, Alabama, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, Florida State. You pick your one. There's nothing like it. And I've said it once. I'll say it again. It's a. It's one that 
there's a reason that America stops and everybody watches this one and why it's the only game played on this weekend. It's because it's America's game. Army versus Navy, uh, it's, not, it's not a game. It's not a rivalry. It's an event. And the, the spectacle that goes from the march-ons that begin in the morning through into the afternoon, the hardware flying over, the brass outside in the parking lot tailgating, the, the uniforms decked out inside with officers from everywhere. I mean, people, and that's just talking about those that are going to be in Philadelphia. We're not even talking yet about those servicemen and women serving in harm's way around the globe and those stationed here in the States that are tuned and glued at all hours, 24 hours around the clock for this game. Everybody's got a stake in this one, TJ. Yeah, and I, I don't think that can be overemphasized that there is a lot of pride and this is a great distraction for a few hours for a lot of the service men and women uh, wherever they may be for the matchup. You mentioned something that's interesting. Uh, that is when everybody comes in on this one, the pageantry of coming into the game. You've been to a lot of big events. Uh, you and I covered the college football playoff two or three years together. Huge event. Final Four, huge event. You know, a Super Bowl, obviously, uh, epicenter of, of big-time events. But when those the pageantry of those two schools, they're, they're – uh, cadets, the midshipmen that come in, just set the scene for the audience on what's that, what is that like to be in the stadium before the game ever begins? Well, I mean, it's, it's hair raising, uh, when you see the, you know, in this case, it will be the, the core cadets that enter first as they will be the, the visiting team and maybe the home team, uh, on, on Saturday, you know, the, the cadets will march in first and, you know, people get in there. I mean, you got to get in early. I mean, you, you, people talking, especially in the South, SEC, ACC, about, you know, spending a full day. It's a full day event when you tailgate for three hours before and then afterwards. But it, 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 it's just, it's, it's a spectacle to see the long gray line come in. Uh, the Corps of Cadets come in and march in, and then they go to their corner, and then they'll get in that corner and they'll razz the midshipmen from the minute they start walking <laughs> in with the first company till the last one comes in. And it's just it's just one of those things where you just kind of stop and watch, and you, and you just it's that monotonous beat, and it goes all the way up until the, the midshipmen and the cadets. I mean, there there is no there is no other game in in college sports certainly where you have the entire student body in one corner of one school and the entire student body, I'm talking not just half of them, the entire student body of two schools are in opposite corners. And it is, you know, you have a Knight of Liberty that's typically on the line. Typically the, the school that wins the entire um, uh, brigade or corps will get a, a Knight of Liberty uh, from the commandant or the superintendent to uh, let them have a night to celebrate and have some fun before being back on Sunday. It, it, there's just, it's, it's just a spectacle with the, you know, the, the brass that it's going to be on hand. Obviously president Trump's going to be there again. I mean, it's just, everything stops and stands still, man. And there's just, there is just simply, if you've been to it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, uh, words just do not do it justice, TJ. I mean, I was fortunate to cover a bunch of these. I was fortunate to be the official scorer of two Army-Navy games when I worked at the Naval Academy. Uh, there, There is just no other experience in sports like what will go down on Saturday. 
Love the ins and outs of Service Academy football, especially from Price Atkinson, who does a tremendous job on his Yards and Stripes podcast found wherever you find podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. He's going to have great insight and a preview. He'll tell you more about it in a few moments on the Army-Navy game for this week. Uh, And again, I love you telling this story because you've told it to me off the air and on the air several times now. Two years ago, this game in the snow, dramatic ending, set set the ending up again with the snow falling almost like something out of a Hollywood movie script. Yeah, you know, so in 2017, not last year, Army wins it again last year, 17 to 10. Uh, But the year before... Uh, in Philadelphia, the snow is coming down. The snow started before the game and it lasted throughout. And, you know, when you get out of the press box and you go onto the field, uh, especially for the final minutes, you know, fourth quarter, half of the fourth, whatever, there is an electricity and feel that is, I haven't felt in any other game. That includes a lot of national championships, bunch of them with you, uh, Super Bowl covering the Panthers. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there is a, a palpable energy. And so I was standing at the, you know, as Navy is trying, they're driving what down one, you know, driving the length of the field or trying to get into field goal range uh, to get Bennett Mooring a, a shot uh, to win it. About a foot of snow goal. on the ground, right? While this is going on. Picturesque, right? Tons of snow, tons of snow on the ground. I'm standing at the very back of the end zone, almost right at, in line with one of the goalposts. And uncharacteristically, Navy's coming down. They're moving the ball. They get inside the Army 20, but two very uncharacteristic, two disciplined penalties, both false starts on Navy. The Navy offensive line, a senior, mind you, pushes them back 10 yards. They have to kick a very long field goal, a field goal and ball that lands almost right at my foot. It was within five feet of my foot standing there. The kick is short. It's no good. Army hangs on to win a second straight. They obviously won last year, and they've got a three-game winning streak going into Saturday. What a story. Love this uh, Love this man for what he's talking about. All right, so on this specific uh, game, uh, the fans need to go and find your podcast from last week. Because, oh, by the way, Price is talking to the Navy quarterback, Malcolm Perry, and all he has done is, as a quarterback, run for 1,500 yards, uh, 19 touchdowns, thrown for another 1,000. He's had a fantastic season. Tell me more about that young man in the interview you did with him. Well, the five foot nine senior out of Clarksville, Tennessee, he's another in a long line of talented uh, quarterbacks, but uh, not just talented. One's from the state of Tennessee. Keenan Reynolds was one. You remember several years ago that – uh, that showed up on the Heisman, uh, you know, final tallies there as a senior. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know why Malcolm Perry is not even being considered for the Heisman Trophy with what he's done. He is one of the most electric players in not only the country, in all of, of college football, because when he has the ball in his hands running the triple option, he makes magic happen. And, you know, he almost made it happen in that game two years ago that I talked about when the kick fell just short right at my foot in the driving snow. When he ran, he carried over 30 times for 250 yards alone, and that was as a sophomore uh, starting at quarterback for the midshipmen. And He's a guy that can single-handedly, he will be the best player on the field for the Naval Academy. And talking with him uh, last week's episode of Yards and Stripes, 
you know, he talked about, I mean, this is the only thing that matters, obviously. This is clearly, this is goal number one. Forget the bowl games that Navy's going to, going to the Liberty Bowl to play Kansas State and Memphis. That does not matter. Forget Army. They, they're, what they've done to this point, has their season been a disappointment? Absolutely. But the only thing that matters for Malcolm Perry and the Navy midshipmen and Army, for that matter, the the only goal is to win this game. This is it does not matter a conference championship. Number one is winning the Army Navy game and trying to win that Commander in Chief trophy, a trophy that Navy would bring home after not having it the last three years. And so Malcolm Perry talked about that. I did ask him a little bit about hey, is there an NFL future in your hands? And he said, you know, look, I'm only focused on this game. That's This is the only thing that matters to me. So, and, and you know, I'll tell you another guy, I think, to, to watch in this game and not to, you know, talk so much about Navy. I mean, Army, I mean, let's face it, uh, they've won three straight, and this senior class is trying to do something that no Army senior class has done in years, TJ, and that sweep mm. the Army-Navy rivalry because this would be four straight for the senior class. And the defensive back by the name Elijah Riley – for uh, West Point, not just a great defensive back and, and being able to break up, um, you know, wreak havoc on wide receivers. I mean, he's got several interceptions, seven pass breakups, but he also is a defensive back, TJ, a senior, and he's going to have a shot to play in the NFL as well. Elijah Riley leads him in tackles for a loss with eight and also in sacks with four, three force fumbles. That is a defensive back, I'm telling you. That is not just a linebacker or a free safety Elijah Riley will be one of the best players also on the field, and he's going to be wearing the Army black and gold. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so the game at 3 Eastern time in Philadelphia Saturday. Uh, Price, tell the audience more about what you got coming up on this podcast. We mentioned last week's podcast in the archive at Yards and Stripes has Malcolm Perry on it. Tell me a little more. You're obviously going to preview the game. Special guest, what do you got coming up? Yeah, this week, uh, Army-Navy preview special, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. And John Feinstein, one of the premier authors, columnist in the country, a guy that's worked uh, for the Navy Radio Network when, when John and I worked together. Now he's a contributor to the Army Radio Network. He's been on both sides of the rivalry. I mean, technically, he still is. He writes for the Washington Post, but... You know, he was my guest this week, and, you know, he talked about, I asked him about the really historic turnaround uh, that Ken Niamatololo has engineered this year at Navy. I mean, they were 3-10 and 10 a year ago, TJ, and then he, he makes a tough decision, fires several assistant coaches, ones that had been with him for a long time. Navy's now 9-2. and two. There are only two losses this year, two pretty good teams, right? A couple teams that have, that have 10 wins this year, Memphis. Uh, your Memphis Tigers yep. and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And so, you know, and then the other storyline is Army. You know, Army obviously has been a major disappointment. You know, and John said something I thought that was interesting, that if, if he thought that if Army had found a way and had won that Michigan game early in September, you remember, he thinks this season could have been a much different affair than it has been for Army. You know, but it's still interesting that – how Army obviously could salvage a disappointing season and almost make a lot of things that did not go their way go their way and end it on the right note with a win over Navy. Although on the same on the same token, you know Navy not nine and two, they have engineered the turnaround thanks to Ken Niamatololo changing a lot of things, especially on the coaching staff. Uh, but the, the rebuild in this this kind of turning of the page and getting back to what Navy has been accustomed to over the years. If they don't beat Army, they will not feel like that that has been fulfilled. And so it's going to take a it's going to take a win by one of these two teams to kind of 
finish off the way they want their season to, to finish. And obviously our Navy's going to have one more, but John also mentioned one more thing, TJ, before I know I got to let you, you got to go and let me go. But, but he said something that Bob Sutton, the former army coach told him years ago. And Bob Sutton used to always say the most desperate team is the team that wins the army Navy game. The question is which team is the most desperate on Saturday? Is it army that has had a very difficult and challenging season one and has not lived up to any expectations that they've set or coach Munkin, or is it Navy that's the desperate team that has lost three straight in this rivalry that wants to put their senior class in Malcolm Perry and give him a taste of what it's like to win the army Navy game. That is the big question. I think it's uh, I think it's equally um agonizing as much as it would be euphoria for the army guys hey we beat them four straight to be a navy player and have to walk around for the rest of your life and say we never beat army it's it's equal i think on the angst they don't want that and they are favored and we will see what happens in philadelphia it will not be dull again price atkinson yards and stripes podcast promote away on where they can find you on social media as well as the podcast go ahead price at Yards and Strikes on Twitter, on Facebook, and as you mentioned, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, RedCircle.com, Google Play, and then Multitude, whatever your favorite podcast app, I can guarantee you Yards and Strikes is there. And I'm telling you, you want to get ready for this game, get it, subscribe, download, listen. If you're going to be in the car heading to Philadelphia, if you're riding around, you want to know more about both teams and what this game entails. Look, a game the last eight years, CJ, has come down to within a touchdown. Seven of the last eight years, this game has been within a touchdown, and I'm telling you, it's going to be the exact same way this Saturday. All right. They'll be scrapping in Philadelphia. This guy is scrapping. I always love getting to chat with Price Atkinson, especially on a week like this. Thank you, my friend. It was a, it was a treat to have you here on Three Dog Thursday talking Army-Navy. Love you, babe. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Love talking some Service Academy football there with Price Atkinson. Three Dog Thursday will roll on with Brian Edwards of MajorWager.com. Sean Green of the Sports Gambling Podcast still to come. Three Dog Thursday also brought to you in part by Play Pick 6. Check out their game, PlayPick6.com. But more importantly, go download the app in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, Play Pick 6, the app. Pick any six teams from all the different sports, whether it's the college football bowl season, the NFL, uh, the NBA, college basketball, the NHL right now at this time of the year. Pick six teams in the same day simply to win. And if those six come in, you get a great gift card for free from a sports restaurant. It's free to play. Download the app. Play Pick 6. Test your knowledge in college football, the NFL, the NBA, college football, and the NHL by picking any six games. Load it up from wherever you are. Download the app. Apple Store, Google Play Store, Play Pick 6 is the name of the app. And they've got another fun game. It's a little easier to win, a little bit lesser gift card from the sports restaurant uh, that you can play called One and Done. Pick any game, the correct score of that game, and you're a winner for free free to tune in and uh, and get the app and play pick six it'll take you less than two minutes to sign up go to playpick6.com to find out more download the app apple store google play store for play pick six it's a lot of fun to play sign up go ahead and play for free win that gift card see how much you know about these different games in a same uh, same day pick six of them to win all you got to do is play pick six 
Go to playpick6.com to find out more. Go to playpick6.com. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. We do rock along. It is the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs. Yes, we are devoid of a lot of college football, at least at the higher level. Yes, the FCS or the old Division One AA playoffs going on. Army-Navy is going on. We do have the NFL to get to. But before we get to all of that, let's bring in here. Love the insight from MajorWager.com. Brian Edwards back with me on Three Dog Thursday. He keeps rolling with underdogs, a, a, a cover by Cincinnati in the American Conference Championship game, a push in the Lions game with the Minnesota Vikings. That one was close. Uh, keeps keeps Brian with some momentum right now uh, making these underdog picks. Good to have you. Uh, how you feeling as we've wrapped up the college football championship weekend and now the coaching carousel? How are things? Things are great, TJ. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, would love to talk some coaching carousel. And I know it's, it's not an underdog, but it's close to one. But I just want to go ahead and tell everybody I love Clemson against Ohio <laughs> State. But we'll talk more about that down the line. He does not fancy the Buckeyes, the Luckeyes, later in the year. Uh, as a dog later in the month of December. Uh, All right, so let's just put a bow on championship weekend. I have said, just so you know, before you came on uh, this interview, already on the podcast, that for those that want the eight-team playoff, just uh, uh, sit down and go away. This played out exactly ideally like you would want to set up for a four-team playoff. It was as clean, basically, as you get, short of having four unbeaten teams you got three of them unbeaten the big 12 champion oklahoma with one loss it all worked out this is how the system is set up to work out and so when when utah lost for the second time and georgia lost the sec title game all of that mattered for the 14 playoffs so those are my feelings brian coming off the weekend what are your feelings about how it all worked out uh, and we end up with lsu oklahoma clemson ohio state like you mentioned uh, i agree um if I wasn't a Gator fan, I would agree 100%. I'm only going to agree about 85%, and it's probably my Gator fandom coming out. But I feel like if it were an eight-team playoff, I would really like Florida's chances against um, – really, I think we – I mean, look, I mean, I think LSU's the best team – we were playing without Jonathan Greenard, without Kadarius Tony, and Jabari Zuniga had to leave that game early at their place. And the only difference was we had two fourth and goals in the fourth quarter and came up short and therefore lost 42-28, and that was on the road. But I get what you're saying, and and I, I do love the bowl system. And so so you're right for the most part. But I, got, I had to get a little bit of word in for my Gator fan. <laughs> but they, they have but two, I, I understand, they have two losses. And, it, and it's just like uh, all the, you know, Utah lost for the second time and Oregon had two losses. Uh, Alabama lost for the second time. Minnesota took that second loss last weekend. Georgia took the second loss. College football has always, forever, since we've been alive and well before, said don't lose. But most importantly, don't lose the second time. And so, uh, again, all of the drama, all of the buildup, 
Those of us saying, let it play out, it played out, and we got a clean Final Four that will decide the thing on the field. So, anyway, there, there we go uh, uh, with that. Uh, just give You're me a right. thought. We, we yeah. should have beat Georgia. We, we should have got off the field on third down and beat Georgia. You're <laughs> right, uh, To the SEC title games, I know that's your bread and butter. How impressed, how, how mightily impressed are you that LSU uh, really took them apart in that game, that was as decisive. I mean, Clemson was expected to blow out Virginia, but that was the most decisive Power Five championship game beside besides the Clemson margin of victory, and it was a much better appoint, uh, opponent. What were your thoughts there, Brian, on what LSU did in that title game? Well, you know, and I forget how because it was a favorite. I forget. If, I think we touched on it briefly. I mean, I, I loved LSU. I. I Georgia was kind of playing with a couple of hands tied behind its back in the sense that we we were pretty sure, regardless of what Kirby was saying, that DeAndre Swift wasn't going to be 100%. He only got two touches the whole game. Or I saw he had two rushes. He might have had a catch. But um, um, And then, you know, Pickens was suspended for the first half, and Cager, their best receiver, was out. And then their – Third best behind Pickens and Cager, uh, Dominic Blaylock tore his ACL. I think want to say it was like early second quarter. Right. And so I mean, there's I mean Jake Fromm was just play, you know it, it, with that being I mean you always respect Kirby and, and Georgia and, and you know nobody's really run away from them in the last few years. But um, with the, with their circumstances from their offensive personnel standpoint, I mean I don't know that I thought it would be quite that bad, but I was extremely confident in LSU and that was my pick of the week and I I don't know I didn't dub it we all hey we all stayed away from it on three dog Thursday because we felt like even at nine points or ten points that LSU was more than likely going to pour it on offensively and they did so they they are a drastic favorite over Oklahoma just give me a quick thought on that line did it surprise you that that line opened at like 14 points for a for a semifinal game or did you think that was right about where it should have been I, I yeah I I think I had wrote, wrote down 13 and a half um on Sunday afternoon uh and um yeah I think that's about that's about right um now, you know, Jalen Hurts has beaten LSU twice, but those were low-scoring games, 24-10 to 10 and 10-zip when he had Alabama's defense. So a whole different set of uh, circumstances here. But I do love Jalen Hurts, and I don't underestimate him. But um, I, I just don't think Joe Burrow is going to be denied against anyone. And um, LSU will outscore anyone they play is my feeling. All right. Voice of Brian Edwards. Love his insight, BrianEdwardsSports.com, but also MajorWager.com. Great insight on the college and NFL uh, handicapping and a lot more. So uh, check it out at MajorWager.com. Coaching Carousel. Man, it is still spinning. At the time that we are interviewing uh, right now, the news about Willie Taggart emerging at Florida Atlantic. All right, Brian, you know this. I worked the Conference USA title game on radio for TuneIn and watched FAU demolish UAB, Florida Atlantic, bashing Alabama Birmingham Saturday in Lane Kiffin's swan song. It was pretty well. Uh, it was pretty well done. It wasn't on a neon billboard as you entered the stadium. He's going to Ole Miss, but it was pretty close. And so, so uh, FAU wins big. Kiffin takes off for the SEC. 
Willie Taggart now coming to Florida Atlantic is interesting because that may very well relieve some of the buyout for Florida State, which is financially strapped. So I know we're talking a lot of Southern football here, but on the carousel, what do you make of all of that? Kiffin to Ole Miss, Norvell leaves Memphis to Florida State, and they may have less of a buyout because Willie Taggart's going to hop right back in with another job at Florida Atlantic. Yeah, I thought it's a really good hire by by FSU with with Norvell. He's 38. You know, he took what what, you know Memphis had been in the oh well, that's your alma mater. That's right. That's right. Can help me. Were you were you there during the Tommy West era? I was I was gone before Tommy West, and obviously the struggles that he endured, and of course the famous press conference where he was melting down, saying "shut the program down," and now look what they've done. Yeah. So, but I, I was what I was gonna. The point I was gonna say is before Fuente got there, it, the the program had really been in the garbage can for a while. I mean, I, I think Tommy West had a little success early in that tenure, but you know they'd been bad for so long. And he took what Fuente did in year three and four, and then he built on it and goes twelve and one. He's thirty eight. He calls his own plays. He survived, like, you know, losing some staff members at, at Memphis that went off to other schools, replaced them well. I, I think they get a real good, solid coach, proven, and, and yet up-and-comer on the rise as well. I think that Ole Miss, you know, as long as, as Kiffin doesn't get them put on probation <laughs> where they get some quadruple set of penalties because it's within five years of other right. major violations. As long as that doesn't happen, it's an A-plus hire just because the way it has already and will continue to invigorate the fan base. And that's just going to be fun for us in the media and just observers, whether it goes really good or really bad, it's going to be fun. And I just have to give Arkansas an absolute F minus. Wow. Um, I thought they were going to get Kiffin. Um, look, I, I don't need to. I don't know Sam Pittman well enough to you know dog on him. But he is 58. He's never even been a coordinator, much less a head coach. Now he is known for being a really good recruiter. He's got plenty of SEC experience. But I think they could have had Mike Leach. And he is the exact same age as Pittman, 58. Why Arkansas wouldn't get Mike Leach, I don't know. Uh, As far as Missouri, I'll give them like a B- minus or a B. I like Drinkwitz, but it's a small sample size, and a lot of that credit should go to Satterfield. Uh, There was another job that I give an F- minus to besides Arkansas. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Rutgers, hats off to them for getting Shiano. It'll be tougher in the Big Ten than it was before, but that's a great hire. There was another hire I didn't like, but I'm shooting a blank on it. Wow. Well, there's there's been a lot of movement every which direction uh, right now, I- including, uh, as you mentioned, Arkansas making uh, that move with the with the offensive line coach uh, from Georgia. But maybe you know maybe they're looking at it more of uh, he's the overseer, the CEO, and it's the coordinators that will be the bigger deal uh, on the hire because that's what's obviously saved Orgeron's bacon the last couple of years. Uh, especially this year with the offense, so we'll find out. It's always competitive in the SEC. Just a quick comment: How do you, I? I already said before you came on that Norvell basically gets a year here to figure out uh, how to undo a lot of the damage that was done and, and straighten it all out. How do you think he will ultimately fare trying to compete with Clemson and getting Florida State back to being at least somewhere near Florida State? Oh, I mean, I, I think that. 
you know, the the it's not been a lack of talent. It was just that Willie came in there and let the, the kids run the place. I mean, he was just so happy to be there. I, I mean, I, I think that's what happened. They just had no discipline. They were just not – they were poorly coached. And if they can – I mean, uh, their their talent level isn't that – bad off i'm sure if he can nail this recruiting class which all these new coaches are up against it with the early signing period i don't even know when it is isn't it like in a week or something correct like that? next week correct um, yeah so that's that's brutal that's tough but um you know i think he could turn around pretty quick i mean look you can be better than everybody except clemson i would hope if you're fsu within 12 to 24 months. Yeah, if they're if hope, if they're think. not at least the second best team in the division or at least the second or third best team in the entire conference by year 2, I think a lot of people are going to be raising an eyebrow. Give him a pass on 2020, yeah. but if in 2021 yeah. you're losing four or five ACC games and I don't think that'll happen, but that would not be good uh for Norvell. Yeah on uh on that front all right so a lot of college conversation here with brian edwards we now move along to the nfl i'm assuming you did not want army Uh, most everybody is passing on the on the army navy game although it is a rivalry game coming saturday afternoon Uh, i'm passing on army in the 10 points i assume you're passing so we'll move on to the nfl yes and what you like for underdogs right yeah correct and uh let's go with denver um you know, you're playing Kansas City, so having the number six pass defense in the NFL is a good thing. Uh, Denver's on a 7-2 and two against the spread run. Kansas City is actually only 3-3 three and three both straight up and against the spread at home this year. Um, since week three, um, Kansas City's only won by double digits twice right. week three. Um you look at Locke last week, uh, 22 of 27, 309 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, as a underdog this year, Denver is 7-3 and three against the spread with four outright wins and could easily have had a couple of more outright wins. They lose on the 50-plus yarder at the Horn against the Bears and blew a 20 nothing lead at Minnesota. Um, and, and look, I know it's a KC-Denver division game, so that normally wouldn't qualify as a letdown, but, but for seeding purposes and, and with the New England-KC rivalry seemingly developing you know, here in the last two years, um, maybe it qualifies as a bit of a letdown spot. I, I like Denver catching the big number. And you're the second guy to take the Broncos, and I, I kind of made mention of this, but let me do it more specifically here. That, that game last week against Houston – is one of the out-of-nowhere games maybe of the year in the NFL that you kept looking at that score. I'm working the Buccaneers game with the Colts, and you kept looking at the score. I'm not able to watch highlights or anything. And seeing 17-3, 24-3, 31-3, that was out of nowhere, Brian, last week. You just wonder if they can two weeks in a row on the road, division rival, like you mentioned, put it back together again here against Kansas City. You obviously think they will. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and look, they've been playing pretty good the whole way. They've just been losing games in the fourth quarter. I mean, at Minnesota, well, that was only, what, three or four weeks ago. They were up right. 20 to nothing at halftime. Um, look, Lindsey is a solid running back. Um, they've been solid defensively all year. Uh, you know, they still have Von Miller on that side of the ball. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, the only other game that I could think that, but I mean, the Falcons beat the Saints twenty six to nine, but they weren't up thirty eight. Yeah, well, that that is another one that came completely out of nowhere off the bye week with the Saints as the number one seed at that moment in the NFC. That's another good example of out of nowhere. But this is this was I mean, Houston and, and Houston is vying to get one of the buys for the NFC for the AFC playoffs. And this may come back to haunt them losing that game. After they beat New England, they turn around and get rolled at home by the Broncos. Welcome to the NFL. And, and trying to figure and out. Hey. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, TJ. I was just saying, and hey, watch out, Houston. The Titans are on fire. But see, I like the Titans. I'm glad you did interrupt. I like the Titans, uh, the Texans in this game uh, in Nashville just as a bounce back. And I, I got a, I got a feeling that, that uh, Tennessee's uh, feeling so good about themselves after just whacking Oakland last week, and they've won what four of five with Tannehill, or now five of six with Tannehill at quarterback. Um, I don't know. Houston, Houston might be uh, ready to bow up here and win this game. I don't know. That's a good debatable one. I'm kind of liking them for three dog Thursday purposes. And these two teams are going to play twice in the last three weeks. They play in the final regular season game in Houston. And again, that one may not only be for the division, it might be for a buy as well. If New England keeps sinking the way that they do, uh, it it might end up being uh, for a buy possibility against Kansas City, etc. Uh, for the AFC playoff picture, we'll see. Did you have another underdog, my friend? You're not obligated to take three of them. You got one of them. Did you have another one you might like in the NFL, Brian Edwards? I do, but I want to go back just very briefly to that Titans yeah. Colts. Um, I, I th- and I haven't looked at the weather yet, but I think that's going to be an over game. Uh, it's up there. It's 50, but the the over is seven on a 7-0 run for the Titans. But back back to our normal condo of underdogs i'm gonna go with the colts uh plus the nine Mm. at new orleans okay the colts have only lost by seven once this season and that was when they were playing the titans a few weeks ago and it was a tie game with five minutes and change left and the colts were kicking a field goal and the Titans blocked it and returned it for a touchdown. And then, like, three minutes later, they got a 40-yard touchdown pass and won by 14. That's the only exception to any team in the league beating Indy by more than seven all season. Now, Indy has been an underdog of three points or more five times this year. They have covered in three of those. They've had two pushes, and they've won outright twice and now Indy's got its own share of injuries but you know we're talking now Wednesday I'm hoping T.Y. Hilton he's listed as questionable might be able to be back by then but I still like our chances regardless and that's uh, a lot because um, Marcus Davenport uh, who had uh, six sacks 16 QB hits uh, for New Orleans had season-ending foot injury uh, and then the D tackle, what Sheldon Rankin, Sheldon Rankin's out too. Up. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then Jared Jared Cook, the tight end, got a concussion. Now I don't think they've ruled him out yet, and may, maybe he will play, but he's dinged. So you know that kind of washes out the injuries the Colts have been dealing with, and the Colts did get Marlon Mack uh, back. That's correct. So I'm going to go with go with the Colts. Wow. Uh, the nine against the Saints, and I know it's bounce back mode for the Saints. But, man, that was a 
physical, emotional, uh, wild game last week that uh, I would imagine is kind of hard to, to shake off, especially when you're a nine-point well, chalk and, and let me share this. Uh, I can interject. I worked the Buccaneers-Colts game Sunday, and for Frank Reich's team, this is now five losses in six games, and that's got to be the toughest one, even tougher than the block field goal game you're talking about in Nashville. Because they were up double figures twice, including up 35-21 in the fourth quarter of that game when Jameis Winston had thrown uh, a third interception. You're, you're plus three in the turnovers. You're up by 14 in the fourth quarter, and you can't hold the lead against the Bucks. So I, I'm, I don't know that I'm feeling Indy in this spot. If you call this one, my friend, I'm bowing to you. The Colts, uh, br- hey, Brissett is good at field level. He's very accurate. Uh, Mack and, uh, and Himes can run the ball. Himes had a big fumble in the fourth quarter. I just wonder in the loud environment, jacked environment in the Superdome, if the Saints aren't ready to roll. But you make a good point about the injuries, too, uh, for them, especially on the defense. So you'll take Indy in a Monday night game. Uh, with the New Orleans Saints coming up. All right, so there are one, the one football last dogs. Point, yeah, yeah, TJ, yeah. One, uh, if if Hilton gets ruled out, or just because it's you know a, a, a night game and so far off from now, I mean, Indy could be ten by the time we come up, you know, get up to this game. So uh, maybe go ahead and get a little bit of it now, but be be patient. We might have a better number come Monday. You think it might be ten and a half or eleven by Monday night with no Ty with him uh, ruled out in that game? We'll find out. And and obviously, again, New Orleans has great incentive trying to battle for a buy on the opening uh, weekend of the playoff round if they can continue to win or not it, it damages them that they lost head to head with the with the 49ers here in this instance so uh we will we will see you mentioned that loss to Atlanta too that one's haunting them from earlier in the year Brian Edwards with me for a few more moments and you were saying to me before we did this officially you were you were saying to me UFC UFC I got a couple of underdog possibilities for the UFC fight card on Saturday so for the audience on three dog Thursday give me a UFC thought or two Okay, so Jose Aldo is uh, the former two-time featherweight champion. Featherweight in the UFC is 145 pounds, and he, but he's lost to the champ twice. So he, he knew he had to make another title run. He had to go to another division. There had been a lot of talk about him going up to 155. He decided instead to go down to 135. And so we're Wednesday. The weight cut is Friday morning. So I don't want to like commit to it 100% because I want to see what he looks like. We haven't seen him fight it this way. He's fighting Marlon Marias, who just fought for the belt but got knocked out by Henry Cejudo. Uh, Aldo had won a couple in a row and lost the decision and then decided to make this, uh, this move in the division. So Jose Aldo, I mean, I bet other than the Holloway fights, who, who was the champ that beat him at featherweight, I bet that you know he hasn't been an underdog except for you know back when he was you know ten fifteen years ago in a young pup. <laughs> uh, he's plus one seventy. If he looks okay away in, makes the weight okay, I'll be on Aldo at plus one seventy. And then a, another old guy, he came out of retirement. Uriah Faber came out of retirement a few months back. Hadn't fought in three years, 
And now, remember, when he retired, he was fighting a title fight. So he was still at the top level. He comes back. He gets the quickest knockout of his career over the fifth-ranked Bantamweight uh, in, like, 45 seconds. So now they give him another uh, good guy. I think Peter Jan's ranked either fourth, fifth, or sixth. And he is a minus 500 favorite. So just a small amount for giggles. I'm going to go to Faber at plus 400. And let's see if he, he can make some magic happen again. But a this, small amount now. A small, small, a small amount. All right, this man has been making magic with the underdog picks. He likes the Broncos. He likes the Colts in the domed environment Monday night. Uh, again, they are clinging to any hope of a playoff spot here. They've got to win out Indianapolis uh, in that matchup. By the way, you were asking about weather for Tennessee and Houston. Who knows with the weather? They can't get this stuff right more than two days out, and we're now tr- trying to project four days sure. out at the time we're talking. But in Nashville, it's supposed to be in the upper 40s and overcast. Not rain, but overcast. Who knows how that will play out with Texans and Titans. But that one, that, that one has gone up uh, in significance dramatically with Houston losing last week, Tennessee winning as of late. Do the Titans have a chance with two head-to-head matchups against Houston to sneak into the AFC South top spot maybe before the end of the year? What a story that would be with benching Mariota and going to Tannehill if that were to happen. We will find out. Lots here on the underdogs. Brian, plug away because you've got great information rolling with the bowl games, the NFL, UFC, and much more. Tell the fans more about where to find you and how. Well, I was having a horrible season, but got it turned around in in November and and doing pretty well here. My picks on VegasInsider.com. You can follow uh, Vegas Insider on Twitter. Uh, The handle is at twitvitvi. I'm also at MajorWager.com. You can follow that Twitter handle. is at MajorWagerUno, U-N-O. Uh, my Twitter is at VegasBEdwards. And uh, I haven't been updating it much lately, but I also have a website, BrianEdwardsSports.com. Uh, and uh, anytime you got questions on bets and ball games, reach out to me. Uh, feel free to do so on Twitter or, or BrianE.Edwards11 at gmail.com. That's Brian with an I. Ryan's with wise are ninety five percent d bags for the most part. <laughs> just life lessons for you there. <laughs> but Brian Edwards, the South Carolina receiver, is a five percent exception. Er. <laughs> I love it. Uh, again, Vegas B Edwards uh, there on Twitter. Majorwager.com. Great advice through there. He also uh, dabbles some on VegasInsider.com. Our friends there with the great insight, and he loves the Broncos and the Colts here. Brian Edwards, enjoy the weekend of primarily NFL. We'll talk some bowl games and much more in the coming weeks uh, here on Three Dog Thursday. Thank you, sir. Yeah, buddy, and I can smell a play on those Eastern Michigan Eagles as a double-digit dog when we get the ball season. Thanks, TJ. Have a great weekend, brother. Back in here on Three Dog Thursday and calling back in from the Sports Gambling Podcast. He's out on the left coast. Oh, it's getting that time in the NFL where the nitty-gritty is coming. I'm looking forward to getting some NFL underdog advice. But I may, I may, I sense, I smell, I smell there could be a little Army-Navy discussion upcoming with Sean Green of the Sports Gambling Podcast. How you been? How are things? I'm awesome. Yeah, just enjoying the uh, decent weather out here in Los Angeles, not missing any uh, crazy, you know, storms or cold weather. So, 
it's nice to be out in L.A. and still be able to watch uh, cold weather football. Uh, yeah, and, and let everybody else freeze to death. Nice job last week. You had the Baylor Bears in the wild overtime game that ends up being a cover yeah. with Oklahoma. You also had the Denver Broncos a week ago. So uh, Sean is consistently giving you at least a couple of them and even a couple of weeks, at least one week, where you've gotten all three of them correct. So he's been an underdog machine. Uh, all right, quick college football comment. I've asked the other guests the same way. Uh, you were you were kind of on to Oregon all year long and saying I, I thought they would crash the college football playoffs. So that didn't work out, but they end up winning the Pac-12 title game last Friday night and ruining it for Utah to have any chance. We don't know for sure if they would have gotten in the playoff or not, but definitely Oregon bopping them cost them the playoff spot with a second loss. Give me one more thought on the Pac-12 champ Oregon Ducks. Impressive for them. Yeah, certainly, and and it's it brings up an interesting debate because really probably what kept them out was that, uh, that loss possibly to Auburn early where a lot of other, you know, teams and conferences, they schedule cupcakes week one and, and Auburn, you know, Oregon matched up against Auburn. Great game. They were up big. They kind of blew it late. Uh, it's unfortunate. And, and it just shows why a lot of these teams end up scheduling really soft uh, when they can, because losses really hurt you. And, Another just great argument for why you should expand the playoffs because I'd love to see this Oregon team in there the way they've been playing late. I'd love to see this Baylor team get in there. And who knows what would have happened if Baylor hadn't lost their uh, their quarterback there. I don't know. That was a wild game, too, because the backup came in. He yeah, looked great. So he did. It's These conference championship games, there were a lot that were pretty good games, and you're thinking, why couldn't this be a part of the bigger playoff system? But in a way, I know what you're saying, but in a way it was. I mean, it was a playoff game for Utah. It wasn't a playoff game for both of them, but it was a playoff game for Georgia. It was a playoff game directly for the Oklahoma-Baylor winner and loser. So in a way, it was. And, And you can't convince me that if Wisconsin had found a way to beat Ohio State, if there wouldn't have been some debate about, is Ohio State going to get in? to the final four or not and in that way that would have been a playoff game uh, kind of as well so I, I I go back I'm a little older than you I go back to when we voted on this and the teams didn't even yeah. meet on the field and then we progressed as you know Sean to the bowl championship series the BCS and we at least got a matchup of one and two and there was always arguing about who is one who is two and why is three not included so now we've got four we are so much better with four teams and two games when I remember the 70s when they would vote and the teams wouldn't even play each other and they would both be undefeated and they'd be co-national champions. It was anarchy. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's come a long way, but we can come a little bit farther. And you're right, it was like a, a playoff game, but why not make it officially a playoff game and, and then take out that little arbitrary step uh, in between either way I, I do think that you know the four that are in now ended up being the top four so I guess that's always their case for not expanding it but I I like filling out brackets so you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing on that front um all right uh so let's get to it for three dog Thursday purposes and I already know because you said to me uh, don't just fly by the Army Navy game. Of course, Air Force is not playing. That would be the branch of the military that would use the airplanes. Uh, don't just uh, gloss over Army Navy in this traditional rivalry. Back in your home area, back in Philadelphia, and this game is always knockdown dragout. Just because Navy is nine and two and Army is is five and uh, six coming into this football game, don't don't just 
disregard what this game could be here coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm all over Army uh, catching 10 points. I mean, if you look at the history of this game, especially recently, only once in the uh, last eight years has the margin of victory been more than 10 points. I mean, again, this is Army's kind of had a disappointing season. So if they can win against Navy, that'll be huge. That'll kind of uh, save their season in a way. They're certainly going to be motivated. And again, Navy has a, you know, part of their advantage is they run the triple option and teams aren't used to practicing against mm-hmm. it. Whereas Army, they've seen it year after year after year. I mean, they have, I, I mean, they got tons of film, tons of players that have seen this Navy team, seen how they run the triple option, know how to play the triple option. So I think that kind of negates uh, the advantage they have there. And it just feels like it's going to be a competitive game. These games always, as you mentioned, do seem to come down to the last goal. One thing we also know, too, there will not be a lot of passing uh, in this one either. Uh, Malcolm Perry, what a season. The Navy quarterback, 1,500 yards rushing and 19 touchdowns for the quarterback in the triple option. But they're sneaky good throwing it. He's thrown for 1,000 yards, too. I mean, it's not, it's not like he yeah. threw for 200 yards this year. So uh, let's see what happens in that matchup. Um, there, there is, I, I've not been to this game, but there's no better scene, maybe in all of sports, certainly in college football, there's no better scene than those two service academies stopping what they're doing and standing at attention for their alma mater and the other team's alma mater. It is chilling even on TV, Sean, from hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of miles away. It is some scene at the end of this game. Yeah, I mean, I've never gone to the game, but uh, definitely on the bucket list of uh, cool sporting events to see. Yeah, and especially uh, when you get a game like they had a couple of years ago where it ended in the snow with a field goal attempt that went just wide right in like a foot of snow. It was a crazy, crazy uh, weather situation. Weather's supposed to be in the mid-50s with rain possible for the game in Philadelphia uh, coming Saturday. All right, so you'll take Army and the 10 points for a college underdog. Let's move to the NFL, and before I get to the doggies with you, what is your take on the whole Patriots situation, uh, is it Spygate, the sequel here, uh, with the with the film crew, the production crew, videotaping not only a scout in the press box, but videotaping the field from the press box, which is not allowed, and videotaping the Bengals coaches prior to the, the Patriots game with the Bengals this week. Sean, you're detached. You're away from it. What do you make of it? Is, is there too big of a deal being made? Or do you tend to lean like I do that the Patriots have lost the benefit of the doubt on these things? Yeah, they've completely lost the benefit of the doubt. Do they just love filming? Is Are they Martin Scorsese over there just trying to get as much as they can? <laughs> a, it, I, they're, it just makes no sense that you would even come close to possibly breaking this rule given their history. And, you know, Patriots defenders will say, oh, you think they really need to seal signals to beat the Bengals? That's not the point. I mean, did you know did Lance Armstrong really need to take steroids? Did Nixon really need to break into uh, you know the Democratic <laughs> National Convention? It doesn't matter if they're going to win or not. They just they need every sort of edge just because they're paranoid and crazy. And I, I think certainly some of that obsession with winning at all costs does apply to Bill Belichick. And- We'll see what the tape looks like when there you the tape go. gets out, there if it go. gets out. But, man, uh, it certainly looks bad. 
and and will they because the spygate stuff back 11 12 years ago they destroyed it all and would and wouldn't show it uh because <laughs> in part uh, their their reasoning was you don't want to give the other teams the same edge where they're seeing the signals matched up okay maybe i buy that maybe i don't but in this case we we've, yeah. we've got to see and it's 8 minutes worth it's one thing i i keep saying it's one thing if there was like 60 seconds of footage or 45 seconds of footage just for cutaways there's eight Eight minutes of apparently, allegedly, supposedly showing coaches signals, showing substitution patterns, who's running in on on what situation. Uh, all right. So we'll in the yeah, NFL. I mean, and, it's, it's yeah, go ahead. Eight minutes. That, eight minutes is the great point. Like you know, I work in the TV, the film industry. You're not filming B-roll of for eight minutes, locked in <laughs> on just guys. I mean, what are you what are you going to cut to? Like eight minute shots of these guys just calling in the signals. Yeah, come on, get out of here. And, and, and people are like, do you do you really think Belichick told them, uh, you know, blah blah, to, to go down and do this? It's like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have to tell them. It's like, uh, you know, again, going back to the Irishman. He just you you you. If you're a lower foot soldier, you know when you say like. Hey, you know, this thing's kind of got to get done. It is what it is. A hey, plausible deniability on Belichick's part, and then these uh, peon uh, video guys are the ones that are going to get in trouble. All right. Uh, and the NFL has said, as we're, as we're talking midweek here, they're going to take their time on this. Will we ever see it to get some kind <laughs> of understanding and satisfaction? The video, I don't know. But they're going to take their time on, on the full investigation here um, of this. Okay, so let's get to the games on the field. As I mentioned, nice job last week. Uh, you had the Denver Broncos a week ago. What, what yeah. do you want to do here for an underdog uh, for this week? Uh, Sean Green, Sports Gambling Podcast. Let's run back the Denver Broncos again. I, I know it's, uh, it's usually I don't want to do that because you're, you're back in a team that everyone saw win outright. That was nine-and-a-half-point dog, but they're – Nine and a half point dogs again against this uh, Kansas City team. What they have going against them is back-to-back road games. But you see this team, uh, they have a real fire uh, behind them, and they have physical running backs that I think are going to be difficult for Kansas City to match up. They also have a good cornerback play. You saw that Tyreek Hill was limited a little bit with Gilmore being all over him. I I think you could see a similar matchup take place this week with uh, Harris. And, uh, you know, Cortland Sutton is a is a huge playmaker. Drew Locke is he's not afraid to throw the ball, uh, and I, I just think this team is kind of playing for this uh, for Fangio. Uh, certainly, I, I really like the Broncos going into this season. They lost a bunch of close games early, kind of unraveled, but um, they've kind of, they really come together late. And I think nine and a half points is too much for a divisional game. For this Broncos, game. and we again don't know how serious Mahomes' hand injury is. They won a hard-fought game at New England and come back home. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what it looks like for Denver in that spot. Um, all right, another one. You got another underdog for me on Three Dog Thursday oh, to fill it out. You know it, and it's the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> three and a half points. I don't get it. How can you make this New York Giants football team a favorite over any other NFL team right now? It blows my mind. We don't know who's starting yet. It's either Eli Manning, who now officially has a losing record thanks to my Philadelphia Eagles, or (laughs) Daniel Jones, a turnover-plagued rookie who is dealing with a high ankle sprain. Either way, nightmare scenario for the Giants. 
And you watch this Dolphins team. They've been scrappy. They beat my yes. Eagles outright. They hung with the Jets. Uh, Ryan, you know, they were supposed to be tanking this year. Don't tell that to Ryan Fitzpatrick. This team seems to be playing super hard for Brian Flores. Uh, they're going to be able to uh, to pass the ball on this Giants weak, week secondary. You got Janoris Jenkins tweeting out insults to the fans during a practice. Uh, this team is – the Giants team's completely unraveling. Uh, now, granted, the, the Dolphins don't have a ton of wins, but they seem like a team that's rallying around uh, their coach, and uh, the Giants seem to be completely uh, the opposite. Well, and it is fascinating that Miami started 0-7 and looked every bit the part of 0-16, and they they shoulda, coulda, woulda won that game with the Jets last week. They couldn't score a touchdown in the red zone. What in the name of Dan Marino are the Miami Dolphins doing kicking five five field goals of 31 yards or less in that game. That means you're in the red zone five times inside at least, and three of them were 25 yards or less, in the red zone over and over again inside the 10-yard line over and over again and couldn't get in the end zone. And it bit them in the end because the Jets got one last drive and got the field goal to beat them 22-21. to After they kicked seven field goals in the game to score 21 points, um, but yeah, they are playing hard. It's a good point that you make for the Dolphins. And how about the Dolphins? Two weeks in a row are in the same stadium. They should be very understanding and, and comfortable yeah. with the visiting locker room because they came back home to Miami, go right back to MetLife Stadium, right back in the visiting locker room again uh, for this matchup. Uh, we'll see. Um, okay, so there we go with uh, with your two, and, and we'll see how some of this plays out with that uh, San Francisco-Atlanta game. I'm curious Uh, With the 49ers off such an emotional win on the road, coming back home, laying a lot of points against Atlanta. Am I crazy there to look at the Falcons uh, plus 11 in in Santa Clara there? Am I nuts, Sean? Uh, No, I I don't think you're nuts. I I do like what you're saying, kind of an emotional letdown spot for this uh, 49ers team. And Atlanta, I mean, I, I can't make sense of this Falcons team at all. They seemed completely lost, then they came back after the bye, beat the Saints beat the Panthers, you know, seemingly like, hey, we're rallying, then they fell apart again, then they then they won again. This Panthers team is really hard to figure out. I, I do get scared of uh, you know, dome teams playing in kind of an area like the Bay Area where uh, weather could be an issue, they're outdoors. But they do have uh, Julio back, so I, I think that'll certainly be helpful. And it, it has been tough to go against this 49ers team because – they just seem to win in different ways, right? They they can win in shootouts. They can win in ugly, sloppy games like they did against the Redskins. This team really, as cliche as it sounds, they find different ways to win each week. So it's tough That's to go point. against them. But I do think I do think the number's a little high. Well, you're right. They won. They won low scoring games a couple different times with the Redskins and uh, a couple other ones earlier this year. I saw them all the way back in Week One, Garoppolo's first regular season game after the ACL injury last year. And the offense wasn't great in that game, but they got three interceptions of Jameis Winston and took two of them back for touchdowns yeah. that were killers. Jeez, what a game that was. And, and it, yeah, it was crazy for San Francisco to get that win all the way back in week one. And I saw that Atlanta team a couple of weeks ago in disarray, especially without Julio Jones. But then they bounced back 
as you mentioned, in Bash, Carolina. So we'll find out in that one. All right, Sean Green, you and Ryan Kramer do a great job with the Sports Gambling Podcast. Promote to the audience here where uh, you guys do a fantastic job of picking everything, not just underdogs, but favorites, line totals, daily fantasy. Tell the audience more about how to find your stuff there with the Sports Gambling Podcast and your network of shows. Yeah, we do we do a ton of shows. We got a uh, a daily fantasy football show like you're talking about, uh, DFS, uh, college football, NFL picks. We have guys doing an NBA podcast, Champions League soccer, uh, boxing, a little bit of MMA, Vegas lifestyle. We kind of cover it all. Uh, you can get it at sportsgamblingpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever great podcasts are downloaded. <laughs> this guy does a great job with the doggies. Good luck, Army. Good luck, Denver Broncos. Good luck, Miami Dolphins. They're against the Giants at the Meadowlands. Will it be Eli in that game? Sean, I always love talking with you. Thank you for the insight here. Good luck with the underdogs. All right. Good talking to you, TJ. And that will do it for this edition of Three Dog Thursday. We're looking forward to what's going to happen with that Army-Navy game for sure that's in the college ranks. What's going to happen with the Heisman Trophy where it looks like a foregone conclusion that Joe Burrow will win that uh, I don't know that one of the underdog other guys, uh, Chase Young, the defensive end for uh, Ohio State or uh, anybody else really has the shot to win this award uh, like Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma or any of the other uh, finalists that make it to New York. Looks like Burroughs Award to win. In the NFL, we're looking at those underdogs. My thanks to Chris Giannini helping out with his underdog picks from the Winning Cures Everything podcast. Same thing from uh, Brian Edwards, MajorWager.com and Sean Green in the Sports Gambling Podcast making those underdog predictions for this week. Uh, I am looking strongly in the NFL at a couple of different games. Uh, The guys uh, really seem to love the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to stay away from that one. I do like Atlanta and the 11 points against San Francisco. So we'll we'll go with that one on Three Dog Thursday. Another one that I'm interested in, uh, the Houston Texans and the Tennessee Titans. I know Brian Edwards and I kind of disagree. Give me Houston and the three points to bounce back off that loss to Denver there in Tennessee. And if I have to go with one more doggy. I think I'm going to agree here with Sean Green. Miami Dolphins at the Giants, whether Eli plays or uh, Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, the rookie plays at quarterback. I don't think it's going to matter here. Give me the Dolphins playing much better football. Uh, I know their receiving core is banged up. They don't have much of a running game, but they are battling the Dolphins. I will take them to win this game and the three and a half points against the Giants. Looks like Pat Shermer, the coach, is going to be on his way out. So those are my three underdogs here for Three Dog Thursday. Texans, Dolphins, and I also love the later game on Saturday, on Sunday afternoon of the Atlanta Falcons against the San Francisco 49ers. Those will be my underdogs for this week on Three Dog Thursday. Thanks again to all the guests and the handicappers. We thank you for listening as well. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. Spread the word. However you found the show through social media, Red Circle Podcasting, spread the word. It's getting good in the NFL. Bowl games coming up, including, including the college football playoff uh, in the college game. We have it all for you. All the way through the end of the NFL season, we're picking those doggies in college and pro football. It is Three Dog Thursday. Bye.